Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host, Hilary Milnes, and today's guest is Palmer West, the co-founder of Ether Apparel. In this episode, West discussed why his brand left wholesale, balancing digital and traditional marketing, and why he believes the brand should actually be prioritized over the product. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, how are you? Good, good. Thanks so much for coming in. Uh, so it's getting cold, so it's a good time of year for, for your brand. You do yes. outerwear. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about when you started the brand, what uh, what opportunity you saw for it, and, and who you were targeting? Yeah, um, my uh, business partner and I started the brand back in 2009. There was a gap in the marketplace, more so then than there is today, mm-hmm. between choosing between fashion brands for outerwear or more of the REI-centric, uh, mountain-specific uh, outerwear. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to create a brand that was uh, the outdoor brand for the city dweller, um, basically using uh, the same um, construction details that you you expect to find in something you would take on the mountain or backcountry or um, you know any of those uh, sort of more Mother Nature inspired. But when you get into the city, you sort of you get into those brands and they, they are, they're not constructed in the same way. They're not seam sealing. They're not using the right fabrications. Mm-hmm. It's not actually built to withstand mother nature. Mm-hmm. And also the price point was such that fashion brands, I feel were reaching a little too far. Mm, like um, overcharging, for overcharging what for, for what it was and for what it wasn't actually doing for you. Right. Um, and at back in the day, uh, I was 35 and sort of starting a family and, and was living in a cosmopolitan city. And I said, okay, all of these brands that spoke to me in college, I've sort of outgrown. Mm-hmm. And now I was not ready to dress like my dad. <laughs> but at the same time, it wasn't appropriate for me to wear uh, the brands that I took on Mountain to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I lived in New York City at the time and struggled to find um, clothing that was uh, had the right fit, had the right cal- color palette, um, and cosmopolitan, cosmopolitan mm-hmm. outerwear. Right. And you mentioned, you know, there was a... a- bigger white space in the market when mm-hmm. you started than, than there is now. Has it gotten more uh, of a competitive space since then? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, when we started, we were very specific about not wanting to go too far into snow sports. We also do a full uh, full line of uh, motorcycle armored gear. Um, but what we really wanted to do was to stay right in that space, almost as a connective tissue between a fashion brand and a brand you'd find at REI. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we really wanted to stay focused in on that urban dweller, city, uh, city liver, uh, city, someone who lives in the city, um, <laughs> who is looking for, you know, wh- where, where am I going to go from a brand perspective now that I've left college, now that I've left these sort of more, um, uh, these brands that really celebrate the person that lives at the foot of a mountain. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when you started the brand, what did you find was the best way to go to market? Obviously, 2009, that was pretty early on in the in the direct-to-consumer boom that we're right. now sort of all watching what's going to happen next for, for those brands. So where, where did you find the, was the best way to reach the customer that you were trying to reach, offer the product you wanted to without, you know, overcharging? Yeah. Uh, well, we began, like most brands, with wholesale. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the first, first few years. Um, and we uh, put our lookbook up online, and we started to get um, a lot of... 
of individuals calling us and asking us, you know, I, I can't shop on your website. Mm-hmm. And we're saying, well, it's not really a website, it's a lookbook, but here's, you know, some of the, the um, wholesale accounts that we're offered in. Um, and when it ended up happening uh, over the next, uh, I'd say, two, two and a half, three years, uh, we were in about six countries and about 189 stores. We were doing well. Um, but we realized we were um, communicating what the brand stood for more than our wholesalers, mm-hmm. that um, our, our brand is, uh, we're very subtle and classic. You know, we, we um, were not the flashy polka dot, uh, over-branded, uh, you know, fur and, and shiny. You know, we're much more of a classic fit. And um, it, so it doesn't jump off of racks sometimes when mm-hmm. you're in a store environment that if you are next to six jackets with polka dots and penguins on them, Ours looks very un, you know, un, understated as it is, and that's our that's our DNA is mm-hmm. to be understated tech. Um, so we realized that we were doing a better job of selling our product than any of our wholesale um, uh, partners. So mm-hmm. we began to sort of do online at the same time of doing the wholesale, and we were having a much better um, rate of sale mm-hmm. than than our wholesale partners. So it's actually a it's it's not a great business the wholesale market, um, and especially not for a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and it became kind of. Um, it became kind of obvious that um, for a brand like ours that takes 18 months to two years to develop mm-hmm. a jacket all the way till you know till you can buy it, um, we would have to take that gamble ahead of time, wondering what the whims of the buyers would be. So mm-hmm. sometimes we would overbuild, sometimes, and we were actually just doing better at selling our own product than people that weren't us. Right. So we then transitioned from uh, wholesale to. Uh, to direct, to direct. Mm-hmm. Um, so you pulled out of the wholesale accounts, one hundred percent. And um, now we have five stores and um, a few mobile stores, as well as uh, uh, two um, rotating, uh, fully fully featured pop ups mm-hmm. that uh, I can talk on. But um, we just realize, listen, we're right in between this space. Uh, there isn't a you know one of the questions that's difficult for us to answer is like, well, what's your who's your competitor? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, it's not re- we we started the brand because we couldn't find what we wanted to wear. Mm-hmm. Uh, my business partner and I, Jonah Smith, um, we made movies together for eleven years before we decided to go into apparel. Um, and our our litmus test before we would finance and produce a movie was if he and I would both be there opening weekend, then we were the right people to make the movie. Mm-hmm. And then if we ever slipped into making movies that we thought other people would want to see, that that was that was uh, fool's fool's gold. You know mm-hmm. that then then maybe we shouldn't be the ones to make that. Right. So when we started making clothes. It was really taking that same approach. Um, four or five years ago, when we started making motorcycle gear, um, I started having children, and my wife, uh, love her dearly, she said, "Okay, that's great. I'm not going to ask you not to ride, but you are a dad now, yeah. so you need to wear every piece of armor that is out there on the market." Mm-hmm. So I jumped into that market and realized it is um, woefully underserved from an aesthetic. I mm-hmm. think is the nicest way that I can put it. it. You know, to wear fully armored gear, you have to look like you just you know an extra in Tron, or <laughs> you know, it is really overbranded. It's really um, ugly. Right. Um, and so it was again. What did we want? Well, mm-hmm. we wanted a couple jackets that were for the commuter, mm-hmm. for the guy that that rides and wants to come and and, and go, but doesn't need to make sure the jacket tells you exactly that I'm a motorcycle rider because that's, you know, it's, we're it's a, a little look. bit, yeah, <laughs> it's a look and 
not one that I like. Right. Um, so, uh, but that's really taken off for us because uh, there was, again, a void aesthetic and an aesthetic void in an otherwise technical field. Right. And I think that's the core of what Ether does is that my favorite uh, response is when customers come back and they're like, did you, this, this, this whole thing's waterproof. And we're mm. like, yeah, 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 we know that. But um, I think we have had a a process of educating our customers that just because a race car doesn't have a bunch of stripes and a number and you know a bunch of logos on it doesn't mean the car is not fast. Right. And for us, it's understated. Uh, it's quiet tech. Mm-hmm. It's um, you know it's built in there. Don't worry about it. We have. Mm-hmm. Um, it's there for you. Right. And and so I'm sure you found, especially at the beginning of the business, that sitting between aesthetic and technical is a, a hard play for wholesale so where exactly were you selling uh we were selling at the time it was just men's uh Uh we now have a full robust women's side as well um you know it was the the higher end the places that the the department stores not not so much much more um high-end boutiques okay um and and really going specific town by town um you know diving into montreal and saying Mm -hmm. okay which is which is the strongest here where do we think our customer Mm -hmm. is going and um, really being pinpointed. We viewed it as advertising right. uh, just to get you know the brand started. Mm-hmm. Um, and 2009 was a bit of a, a recession time for everybody. Right. Um, there was some benefits to that um, as launching a brand. Um, ad spends were much lower than they were yep. a couple <laughs> years later. Um, but yeah, again, it was just trying to um, educate somebody uh, it's like a two-part process. It's, it's trying to educate them that um, what you're wearing is inappropriate in a city, mm-hmm. and there are better ways of building good-looking jackets. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting because I think you, at least from my end, I typically hear, you know, when you're when you're a small brand, you have a very specific point of view. It's mm-hmm. harder to get you know lost in the wash of the department store that have these really long-standing brand partnerships. Right. They don't really flexibly, um, you know, put put something new out there on a really good footing because they don't have associates that are very dedicated to telling that brand story. But on the flip side, the boutiques have been better at that because they have, you know, the owners usually have more skin in the game when it comes to what's being bought and what's selling, but they weren't, they didn't really get it either. Well, I think it was more the buyers and the owners did and the lack of communication from them to the, to the, the floor staff, mm. I think. Um, so even there, it still got a little bit lost. It got a little bit lost, and again, it was it was because the customer at that point was led to believe that overbranding really loud and ill-fitted jackets meant technical. Mm-hmm. And what we were trying to do is no, no, no. Actually, this is a, a trench coat that is you know Primaloft lined fully seam sailed waterproof you can put it over your suit you you know these gentlemen that are wearing six seven thousand dollar suits if not more and they're putting on something that's not even waterproof or they're putting on stuff that it's like what that's not like let us help you complete this look Mm -hmm. and um and yeah so sorry i I got to do that to do that you needed a the, the direct hand in the customer relationship True, as well as to push, as well as to push the DNA of the brand. Why we started it? What mm-hmm. what gets us out of bed in the morning? Why do we de- design what we do? Why why do we you know we are we view ourselves as a design company that happens to make outerwear? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think if you go through our stores and you see some of the things that we touch, it's a lot more than just a bunch of racks in clothing. I don't think that really works today anymore. I right. think in some ways the way we look at our our retail is it's great if you buy something, but 
it's so easy to shop online now that if I get you into my store, I'm not going to crowd you. I'm not going to make sure you purchase something there. I just want to make sure you know why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. It's okay if your answer to me is no. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. In fact, I feel strengthened by that because if you're something for everybody, you're nobody for nothing or mm-hmm. you're nothing for nobody. Right. Um, and, you know, we joke, but, you know, no is a fine answer. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a problem with the, if you don't see the sort of the marketplace um, the same way we do, that's okay right. because uh, over 50% of our sales are loyalty driven, meaning mm-hmm. our customer base, uh, when we look analytics at the end of the year, those people that understand us buy us in a, a an incredibly re- repetitive fashion. Right. That they they oh got it I understand you know I I've been looking for something like this you uh-huh. know I don't want to dress like I did in college anymore, and I don't want to have my man card taken away by going buying into that brand. Mm-hmm. You know like I I I'm you know I need to find that that middle ground, and we really support um, you know the 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 traveler the the the. Anyway, right? No, it makes sense, but it, but I think it's interesting because you know, with your entire business being wholesale, how did you switch to direct? You're basically pulling the rug out under from from the entirety of the business. How do you do that without you know, when, and and living to see the other side? Um, well, luckily, um, we make decisions that we think are right without sort of getting too. Um, mystified by how other people do things. Mm-hmm. I think if you operate today and with the book that says this is how things are to be done, you're going to find yourself out of business really fast because the because the world is changing so fast. Right. So for us it was a transition. It took us about 18 months where we we continued the best of our relationships but let them know that we were phasing out of of wholesale mm-hmm. um, and at the same time built a, a much richer online experience. Um so and it was more gradual than just online. Yeah, it wasn't a it wasn't a flip of the switch. Right. Um, and we we got in a lot more into marketing mm-hmm. um, uh, which is different today than it was then but um, so what what worked then on the marketing front um, position? You know, really, um, really becoming well known on uh, blogs, um, both gear blogs as well as fashion blogs was helpful. They were much more accessible. Mm-hmm. The returns on investment were sizable. Um, reaching out to magazines, buying pages, um, really focusing in on on very specific media buys um, in hopes to sort of explain what it is we do and why we're different. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we're in a different space now uh, from that. Um, I think we uh, we shut off all traditional media and went into a lot more of the sort of the Facebook and Instagram. Mm-hmm. And, and So you're no longer in print, you mean? Uh, that... We are in print now. Oh. We've actually kind of flipped Went back. back. Okay. And well, there's we'll a balance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a balance that we're trying to find between so, the two. So you cut off traditional, went to, to digital. Yes. And what, what was that like? Um, it was... Um, the biggest thing about it, um, which is sort of um, wonderful about digital, is you get real analytics. Mm-hmm. You know, if you buy a page in GQ, um, looks beautiful, you trust the customer base, but you have no idea how many people saw that and then went to your stores right. or saw that and made a purchase. Or so, who they are. Or who they are, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so the digital uh, manuf- uh, the you know, advertising, they were able to provide us on minute-to-minute sort of detailed exactly how many people well they saw your ad and then two days later they did this or this was their activity or this is in a way that I still find quite creepy Uh um, (laughs) that there's that much analytics out there um, that if a 
brand is willing to spend some money to kind of try to find who they know is their core, they really, they, yeah. they, I think they go deeper dive than, than most customers or most people know mm-hmm. um, what, how much you're able to access or how much you can follow people. It's mm-hmm. kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you don't do that. <laughs> you don't. No. You don't use that. No, we will do, um, you know, we'll follow somebody uh, like as, as an example, if someone comes to our website and then they go to one or two more websites that has available space, um, you know, we will, uh, you know, we will fill those spaces with our ads, but mm-hmm. we keep it as like a one or two. We don't follow these people around for it's either you get it or you don't. That's fine. Right. You know, we're just trying to present ourselves much more confident in the marketplace right. and and treating people how we want to be treated. I really get annoyed when I go to a website <laughs> just by chance and then I see their ads for the next two months and it's just like enough. Yeah, okay. Like the wearing you, down tactic. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> we're taking a quick break to tell you about our new show, The Glossy Beauty Podcast. Hosted by Glossy Beauty Editor Priya Rao, the Glossy Beauty Podcast features discussions with leaders in the beauty and wellness industries. Guests include Linda Wells, Alicia Yoon, and Miranda Kerr, and new episodes are released every Thursday on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Anchor FM. Don't miss it. Now back to the episode. So, so since then, obviously, mm-hmm. that, that dynamic has changed a lot in terms of how much you can spend on those channels and yes. get back. Uh, so is that what led you to kind of revert back to some of the more traditional like, like you know we've we hear digital brands going not just to print yep. media but also like catalogs and mailers like that type of thing where it's like oh wait there's this whole other world that is you know being rediscovered because it's so much less crowded expensive competitive yes. I think it's very important that you look at the price point that you are operating within before you look at the channels at which you're going to market I think um you know, our jackets range from anywhere from $300 to $1,100. Mm-hmm. So it's an investment for a lot of people. Um, it's not a click, buy, boom. It's it's not a whatever, it's $30. Mm-hmm. You know, I think people that look at models um, have to be really careful, but they look at the price point because, um, you know, it's, it's an investment. Sure, there's plenty of people out there, I'm sure, that can on a whim make a $700 purchase. That's not a lot of people, though. Mm-hmm. And um, so when you support the brand in more traditional formats, you're sort of giving, um, you're having a, wa- a wider breadth of, listen, we we belong in this space. Mm-hmm. You know, we belong in this space. This is our point of view. Um, this is this is who we are. This is why we started. Um, mes- messaging is, is um, obviously key, but it's, um, it's easier, I think, today through retail and through your own specific Instagram for your brand. Um, I think that leads more to awareness than it does purchasing. Mm-hmm. So it's that's where the mix of the media comes in, where you can let people know where your stores are. And you right. can, you know, you just have to stay fluid in this market because um, there are success stories everywhere of people only using one format or another. Um, but then you have to really look at their, their customer base. And maybe mm-hmm. their customer base is only on Instagram. And if you, uh, ours isn't, so we're aware of that. And, but you don't want to, you know, in some ways, um, uh, you, you need to continue to, um, speak to the people that your purchase, purchase of your product would be aspirational Mm -hmm. as well as reach out to the people who are in the market for what we do. Mm -hmm. And it seems like having your entire customer base on one channel, like an Instagram is as dangerous as having it be entirely through a wholesale partner where you, you don't have that control true true so, so it seems like it's it's no, good and, to diversify <laughs> and some absolutely and some wholesale now i mean we're getting some opportunities um where 
you can sort of share the cost of rent and actually put our own body mm-hmm. in there to help sell our own product. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole different that's a whole different world where yeah. you get to actually, you know, rely on their big banner out front. Right. But then once they're in that intimate setting of actually trying and learning about a product that you can actually put somebody that is on your team in that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was gonna ask. So you you kinda went from through the journey of print to digital media back to more traditional media, did that happen on the retail side where you are, so you are seeing more like a different approach to wholesale now that you've built the online business? I think the, our approach to wholesale right now is, is, is can it get us into markets that we wouldn't have otherwise mm-hmm. gotten into like Japan, like France, you know, like other areas that we, you know, we, we're really focused on North America. Mm-hmm. Um, so having a good partner, not multiple partners. I don't want to go back to those shows. I don't right. enjoy those shows. Mm-hmm. But to to go all in with one person or, or a couple people and say, okay, we're going to be exclusive and mm-hmm. this is how we're going to do it. And we look at it really from a standpoint of it's advertising. We want, we know our customer goes to your place. So we'd like our product to be there and we'll work with you in order to make sure we're in the same vernacular of brands. And that's, what's really difficult for ether because there isn't a, you know, uh, you know, Nike's got Adidas, you know, they, they've right. got, they can push against each other and they can have sort of warring ad campaigns. We're sort of um, in our own, our, in our own space in the mm-hmm. sense that so it's hard to be understood <laughs> it kind of you know you really have to sort of but that's what makes people really love about it because it's it, it is understated and we we're not forcing you to be an advertisement for our brand right. if you buy our product you get to wear our product and and you be you mm-hmm. you don't need to define yourself by the by the oversized badge on your your right bicep right and, and now that you're figuring out new wholesale partnerships, do you feel like you have better footing, an understanding of your customer, and just a bigger history of independent sales that you can make the kind of deals that you want? Like you mentioned, it's sort of a different cost structure, having someone from the brand on the floor, that type of thing. Right. Well, right now it's just conversations. And uh-huh. and, the, and we began to, to seek these conversations like six weeks ago. So this is, I'm really in the infant stage, but um, but we're able to provide a lot more um, analytic of uh, who our customer is mm-hmm. now than we were. Uh, we're coming up on 10 years. So when we were in the beginning, it was like, yeah, you know, <laughs> everybody likes us. Yeah. And and now we can really sort of hone in, uh, having learned as much as we have selling our product for nine years, like who that who that man is, who that woman is, right. and what they're looking for and what they really like that what we do. Yeah. Um, you know, some of the components of having, you know, lifetime guarantee. Uh, we have a concierge service. Mm-hmm. We have, we have, you know, really kind of fleshed out um, the online experience mm-hmm. to match that. It's like, it's not your fault we don't have a store in your corner, mm-hmm. but we're going to be as personable and as close and as, you know, most of our customer service emails are returned within 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, no holds bar, lifetime guarantee of anything manufactured. If something breaks on your jacket and we deem that it was due to our manufacturing, we're going to replace it, no questions asked. Mm-hmm. If you ruin your jacket, we've had hundreds of people go down, unfortunately, in our motorcycle gear, and they call us, and they just want to tell us, thank you for saving me, mm-hmm. and we'll replace it at cost. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, someone does something crazy, and we we want you forever. Mm-hmm. We don't, we, you know, we're not looking to... Uh, um, to sort of just do one off and be really happy about that. I think that's how we all want to be treated and we right. want to, to have a, a, a relationship with a brand for a while and mm-hmm. not uh, and not feel like, did you just 
did, did I just get taken? Right. You know, like that's a terrible feeling. Right, and especially when you see how hard a lot of newer brands have gone with customer acquisition, yep. spreading the widest net as possible, and then you know, there, but there's that retention piece. Yeah, matters as much. No, and we <laughs> and we really pride ourselves on the amount of uh, amount of revenue we make on return customers because right. obviously it's it's we're we're inviting them into our family. We're we're asking them to be a part of us. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody that purchases anything gets a pretty detailed uh, request for. The highs and lows of what you just purchased from us, from the mm-hmm. experience to the, and we have really engaged customers that reach back out to us and, and tell us the things they liked and tell us the things they didn't like. And, and even as the founder, I'll reach out and, you know, communicate with these customers and say, ah, that's a good, that's a great point. That's mm-hmm. not us, you know, but that's a really good point. And maybe you want to look at this brand or something, you know. It's a big world out there. Right. So it's like, you know, we're not trying to be somebody for everybody. Right. It's hands on. Um, yeah. so, so it's something that we talk about all the time is that when it comes to navigating the, the retail industry today, it's, it's super competitive. It's changed a lot in the last 10 mm-hmm. years you've been in business. What comes first? Is it the brand or the product? What comes first, the brand or the product? Is um, it, are you well, competing they have on be... brand or are you competing on product? How do you navigate that question? Um, I think if you compete on product, you're getting yourself into a space that is inundated with race to the bottom pricing. Mm. If it's just about the garment, Mm -hmm. then you can find cheaper garments. If you're just, you know, like, so for us, uh, the DNA supports the price point. And I, and I mean that because we have a certain standard of how we want things constructed. We have a certain look that we want. We have a certain fit that we want. Even the sound of our fabrics need to be need to be sophisticated. They can't. You think about the leather squeak. What's that? The leather squeak. Well, worse, <laughs> worse is the sort of the uh, the nylon sheen. The yeah, the, it's like you're wearing corduroy pants from back in the day. Yeah. But, um, um, no, we. Uh, it's a really interesting question. I, I'm kind of floating around as I'm trying to figure out the best way I can answer that. Um, we try to spend as much time telling you who we are and what it is that we do and what we think about the world and mm-hmm. how how we, as, as an example. So last fall, we went to Japan and we shot for four days in Tokyo and we shot for four days backcountry skiing in Niseko. Mm-hmm. And for us, that represents how we would want to take a vacation to, to Japan. We would want to get deep into the city and find all those cool restaurants where you're the only one there speaking English mm-hmm. and really peel back the cover of this culture and just dive in. And at the same time, it's got some of the best snowfall in the world. So got to go do that mm-hmm. and got to go and, and, and not just buy the resort ticket, but get the, get the snow cat, get mm-hmm. up onto the mountain is yours and only yours. And it's you and a group of eight friends. And that is just, you have come back with a, a memory. And mm-hmm. if our feeling is if you're not creating memories, what are you doing? Like, how are you using your free time or your spare time to, to enrich your life? Now it sounds very like existential heady. <laughs> yeah. But it's, uh, um, that's us pushing the DNA, mm-hmm. you know, that we're not just four guys in a van driving around Japan. It's like, no, we, we want a little higher end stuff. We want to really dive into the culture. We want to dive into the, to the uh, you know, what it is that each country has to. And we've been to Norway. We've been to Iceland. We've been all over Germany, mm-hmm. Austria, you know, and it's part of who we are. It's part of um, why we're able to make what we make because we're still making stuff we want. Mm-hmm. Um, which, so it's almost like the message and the brand and that DNA informs the product. And so if that were to go away, the product doesn't really have anything to stand for. And then, like you said, you start competing on on price, race to the bottom. Right. And that and that's not a race I want to be in. That's interesting. But the DNA says, oh, if, if you understand our DNA and then you look at one of our jackets, you're like, oh, you 
I could take that on the mountain. Mm-hmm. I could take that out to dinner at a nice restaurant. I could wear that to work, to a business meeting, no problem. And I can also get filthy dirty uh-huh. and go way deep into the woods and not worry about my stuff breaking down or is it okay if ether gets dirty? Yes, it's okay. <laughs> so if you understand the DNA of the brand, then all of a sudden the product really takes on a different life. Like, oh, mm-hmm. you're right. I can put this 10 items, you know, into a bag and I can go anywhere mm-hmm. and I can wear them anywhere in any setting from the nice restaurant to the to the deep woods. Right. And we don't think that needs to be, um, so we don't feel like you need to bring six or seven different wardrobes depending on what you're doing. Mm-hmm. If it's built right, it should go well, anywhere. We're just about out of time. Okay. Um, it's so you're going to be ten years old next year. Is that this, right? Yeah, fall nineteen. Yeah. So, so what are your what are your plans? What are your priorities? What do you have goals set up for next year? I'm sure. Um, I, you know, it's always it's always on messaging and it's always on growth the the right kind of growth. Uh-huh. You know, we do have a fully um, we have two full stores that basically can fit within a cube truck, and we can roll into a place and pop up. We have one right now in in Denver, and anybody that walks in the store does not feel like this is a temporary three month store. Mm. Um, we look at it as kind of the bobber of the brand, and we we will always have two that are roaming around constantly, and in a way that people are surprised that it that it's a pop-up. Mm-hmm. Um, that we're going to continue to push that. Our concierge group um, now represents about 15% uh, of total sales. And that is people that have a direct relationship with us that we reach out to them as much as they want us to reach out. But, um, you know, the pre-sales, but it's really just a bespoke treatment from a brand to a customer. Mm-hmm. And and um, that has grown exponentially since we, we first started it. Mm-hmm. So um, world domination, is, yeah. that, you know, is that, that too much to ask for? <laughs> well, it seems like you are actually very comfortable with realistic step-by-step growth yeah. rather than like the VC-funded on steroids brand growth that no, we sometimes it's, see. No, it's long-term. I mean, you look at a lot of the brands you respect, they're 30, 40 years old. Mm-hmm. We're still, even at 10 years, I think, you know, in today's day and age, people think you're supposed to have a meteoric rise and, then, and that's that's not outerwear brands. Right. You know, that's, uh, we want to have, we want to have the heritage you look back and you go, they've been doing this always. Mm-hmm. Like everybody comes to us and says, you got to put your name all over this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, then that's somebody else. Right. And that's not really what we stand for. Great. So, well, good luck. I appreciate your time. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank right? you. Thanks. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Special thanks to Gianna Cappadona, the producer of this podcast. If you've been enjoying the Glossy podcast and aren't a Glossy Plus subscriber yet, it's time to consider joining to get access to all of Glossy's content, member events, ticket discounts, Slack chats, and more. As a reward for listening, use the code Hillary25 at glossy.co slash plus to get 25% off an annual subscription. That's H-I-L-A-R-Y 25 at glossy.co slash plus. And as always, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Anchor FM and leave us any feedback you have. 